0: you hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking queer money on the road this summer and fall. Visit queermoneypodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood.
1: Welcome back to another episode of Queer Money. November is Adoption Awareness Month. So as with last week's episode, episode 129, today we're talking about adoption. Adrienne Elliott, Executive Director of Denver's Own Adoption Options, joins us today to share with us the logistics of infant and foster care adoption. As more same-sex couples and LGBTQ people consider growing their families, it's important to know the ins and outs of all the options available to us, including infant and foster care adoption. This episode will expand on episode 129, last week's episode, with Jillian Drudd, on which we talked about her experience with foster care adoption and adopting queer kids. Adrian's worked for adoption options for over five years and has worked in all aspects of the child welfare system, including intake, child protection, permanency, and adoption. Adrian has been a child welfare trainer for the Colorado Training Academy and currently teaches as adjunct faculty for the University of Denver and Metropolitan State University on subjects of family social work, foster care and adoption, and college-level courses for caseworkers and mental health professionals in adoption competence. For help growing your family through adoption, there's really no better resource than Adrian. This episode of Queer Money is being brought to you by the Debt-Free Guys 7-Day Debt Freedom Challenge. You can accept that challenge at DebtFreeGuys.com. Finally, look for the credit card payoff course coming January 2019 to make next year the year you pay off those credit cards. Now, here we go.
0: There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. This is Queer Money.
1: Welcome, Adrian Elliott of Adoption Options to Queer Money. We're excited to have you. Thank you.
2: Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited too.
1: Thank you. Yeah, we've been talking about this, I think, for like six or seven months now. <laughs>
2: yeah. So this it feels is a long like time
1: coming, but we're okay. excited that we finally have the opportunity to talk with you and that we're able to get this episode out to our audience during Adoption Awareness Month. So that's right. pretty exciting. Yes. So, does Adoption Options do anything in particular for Adoption Awareness Month?
2: Actually, we have a couple events. We just had our big gala over the weekend that celebrates National Adoption Month. And that's a huge, our big fundraiser for the year. And then we actually have this week, we have National Adoption Day on Thursday. And that's where we're going to be finalizing uh, 13 children into their families, their forever families. Oh,
1: wow. Nice. That's awesome. Yes that 's very cool, so you know with marriage equality in two thousand and fifteen, we are starting to see a pickup in same sex couples and LGBT families in general becoming more more interested in adoption. But I think the process sounds uh, complicated or unfamiliar so <laughs> would you would you mind explaining to our audience sort of at a high level understanding of what the adoption process looks like and what a couple or an individual can expect uh, in terms of the duration and all the different circumstances that pop up?
2: Sure. So it kind of depends on what a family is looking for as far as an age range for a child. So I'll talk a little bit about an infant adoption versus, uh which is a voluntary process with a, with a birth parent making a plan of adoption. And then I can talk a little bit about flexible families. That's our program and it's foster to adopt. So adopting a child from the foster care system is a little bit different as far as timeframes. So ex- expectations really for those two programs are, Actually, much different. Although the home study may look similar, the wait time is very different. So, for an infant adoption, that wait time can potentially be anywhere from eighteen months to three years. So, it kind of just depends um, on. The family's like flexibility and kind of what they're looking for in a relationship with a birth parent, and then they actually have to be chosen from a birth by a birth parent. For our flexible family program, uh, those children again there is a wait, but there's a lot more intensive services that are provided to the family through education. They have to be licensed as a foster parent, and then at that point in time, once they're ready to go, that wait could be anywhere from six months to a little over a year.
1: Wow. Got you. So we actually just had an interview with Jillian Johnsrod on episode 129 of Queer Muddy, and she explained to us what the process was to get uh, certified as a foster parent. Um, and it sounds like it takes, give or take on your flexibility, of course, but about a year or so to get that certification.
2: It can you can be certified way quicker than that. So in our program, because each agency does things a little bit differently, in our program, it's you have to be you have to get through education classes first. So that can take that's a six week process before your home study can even start, and then you have about sixty to ninety days to complete a home study after uh, the education classes, and so our and then it takes another about probably about a month to get fully licensed. So you're looking at six months to even be licensed. And then from there, we can start looking for children for your family.
1: Got you. So it sounds like it's a pretty intense process then. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yes, it's an intense process through definitely through the, foster, yes, through the oh. foster care system.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So what could LGBT people or same-sex couples do maybe in advance of pursuing, uh, whether it's an infant adoption or a foster care adoption, in advance to start preparing to, one, make sure that this is definitely a path they want to go down, and two, to make sure they have their ducks in a row to make that process a little bit easier.
2: Sure. So the way i kind of look at it is that a family is a family so if you are in the process of thinking about whether you are an lgbt family or a heterosexual family you're you're still looking at whether it's a good time to adopt in general so so in that preparation is really with your partner is to really be having that conversation of what does it mean for us to adopt is Is that do we want to raise a child from infancy up or do we think that we have what it could take to actually adopt a child uh, from the foster care system or a sibling group? And so I think those are really in-depth conversations. I would also state, because in Colorado, you have to be working with a licensed child placement agency, is that those to research the agencies that you want to work with because They're going to be your advocate and your support system. And if you do not research them, then you can't know that there's an agency out there that potentially could be a good fit for you. So I would say all of those things. I would also say that financially, um, you have to be in a position where you can, that you're ready for a child to come into your family. So if you're having a hard time making ends meet, it might not be a good time because obviously that child's going to need things that a child's going to need. And sometimes with a foster care child, you may have to uh, spend a little bit more also for therapy or those kind of things. So although you're going to get some support from a government agency with a child from foster care, it's not going to be an uh, parenting is just, costly in general. So I don't know if it really matters um, at that point in time. And then as far as your home goes that you need to have room for a child. So if you're in an apartment, if it's a two bedroom apartment, depending on the age of the child, that might be appropriate. And then looking forward to moving into maybe a bigger place down the road. If it's an infant, obviously a two bedroom would be fine um, as far as an apartment goes. But again, I think the home is going to be Important, just to make sure that you have enough space for a child to come into your home.
1: Right. So you brought up the topic of of money already. So I'd like sure. to dive right into that. So what are some of the common expenses that are associated with adoption that someone should be prepared for?
2: So again, if it's an infant adoption, that is a that is an expensive process, and because you are as a family paying for. Pretty much all the services. So, a home study, you're paying for um, joiners' fees to go into a pool of waiting families, like through our agency. So, that's costly because those fees that you're paying are going to go to support a birth parent or birth parents, depending upon how many birth parents we're working on to get have place into a family. So the her medical expenses are coming out of those fees. Legal fees are coming out of those fees that are paid up front. Uh, there's there's all kinds of fees associated with an infant adoption. So again, that's kind of a costly program. If you're looking to adopt from foster care, that's much more accessible, meaning that if you're paying for a home study and you might be paying for matching or networking But you're not necessarily paying for care after a child is placed in your home because the county is going to be paying a foster care fee. And so those families that are have placement of a child up until finalization is really going to be covered from the county's uh, foster care fees.
1: Got you. So if I'm pulling both episode 129 and this episode 130 together, it sounds like to do the infant adoption can take longer and cost more money. Going the foster care route can typically be a shorter process and cost less money. Correct. Okay. Um. Do you know what the average cost of an adoption, infant adoption is? Is that possible? Yeah.
2: Sure. So again, that kind of varies from agency to agency and from state to state. So In Colorado, we, I'll just say that adoption options, it's $28,000. But with that cost, you're also getting all the fees are covered under that adoption. So we don't pull out fees for, to pay for medical expenses for a birth parent. That's part of the pool of fees that we collect. You're not paying for your own legal process because that's, those are fees that we pay for. But other agencies may be lower cost which is why it's important to talk to an agency about what their fees really are and to find some hidden costs because at times there can be hidden costs, meaning that if you get connected with a birth parent, they may not be paying for anything with that birth parent. You may be paying for that as, a, as an adoptive parent. So if she has, you know, $5,000 of legal fees, you may be responsible for paying those legal fees to relinqu- for her to relinquish her baby to you. So it kind of varies. So I would say an average cost is anywhere between 25000 all the way up to 40000 So again, it just really varies. And as an adoptive parent, what I would say is make sure you know the right questions to ask because again, those fee agreements can, they can vary. So you just have to be able to ask the right questions.
1: And are those the type of questions that maybe an attorney could help you craft
2: you could yes again colorado is a county oh, i'm sorry you have to work with a cpa or a child placement agency when you're going through the adoption process but i would tell you that yes an attorney can sometimes help navigate those fee agreements but you you don't have to have one if that makes sense
0: sure so what you were just talking about there that roughly twenty five to forty thousand that's for an infant adoption, correct
2: that's correct,
0: right, and then when it comes to a foster adoption foster I guess that's yeah, yeah adoption out of the foster care system, yes, so is that you said that that was more accessible? What are you kind of seeing as kind of the averages there?
2: okay again, it depends on uh if you go through a child placement agency or actually through a county department of social services county departments if you if you go into their And they don't necessarily have adoption programs, but you can be a foster parent. If that child becomes legally available, then you might be approached to adopt a child. So that, again, is something that families need to consider, is that the the child that's placed in your home may not necessarily become available for adoption. Mm -hmm. But if you go through a county department, those fees are covered. So they are paying for your home study. They are going to pay for any other costs that come up. So technically it's free to adopt through a County Department of Social Services, but families need to understand that if they go through a County Department, clearly the County is going to be invested in placing their own children in your into your family. Mm-hmm. So you're not really going to be able to go out and look for children in another County, say. Okay. If you go through a child placement agency, again, I can't, I can't speak for other child placement agencies, but typically we have a very unique program, meaning that when families come in, we are not necessarily just, we are not placing just for foster care. We are really looking for families that want to adopt from foster care. So we also then provide networking and marketing to those families and we can look all across Colorado and and across the United States for children that are legally available to be placed into their families. Those fees are going to be roughly around about $5,000. Okay. Gotcha. And would that
1: also include like trying to find the right child for the right family? Yes, it would. Personality fits and what the family is capable of, of, of taking care of.
2: Yes.
0: Yeah. So sorry, just going to interrupt for a second. One of the things that we talked about with Jillian on last week's episode was this idea of there are children out there who identify as LGBTQ uh, that are in the foster care system. So is that something that you could assist with? If, if, say, for example, an LGBT family wants to adopt a child out of the foster care system that they can be supportive for, is that something you would help with?
2: Oh, yes. So that would be happened during... The home study process, we're really diving in deep with families about kind of the issues that a child might come to their home with. We'd also be looking at what's a good fit for that family. So and LGBT uh, issues definitely arise. So a lot of kids are identifying or maybe even questioning their sexuality or what they identify gender-wise, and so we have families that will specifically once we bring that up will say, "Oh yes, I'm very open to that." Mm-hmm. So nice, uh, yes. So I think that's part of the home study process, and then that's who we're gonna. Then that checklist that we go over with a family, we're going to then present that when we're looking for children for that family. We're going to be presenting that to the people that are making the decisions about placement for those children. Got you. And if
1: I'm not entirely sure what I'm capable of, of the kind of care I'm able to give, I'm assuming that's part of the the process that you go through, right?
2: Yes. And that's part of education too. So a lot of times that's why we have families do education classes first. That's Mm. 30 hours of training before they even start a home study because we want to make sure families are as educated as much as they possibly can be before they go into this process. And so that, but then families change and so, and that's okay. And so as they're waiting for a child, We're also continuing to provide education to them so that if something does change and they feel more capable of parenting a particular behavioral issue, say, then we are going to open up their criteria. Gotcha. So,
0: Adrian, one of the things that we learned last week on last week's episode was just the number of children who are in the foster care system. I think it was upwards of 140,000 children are waiting to be adopted in the United States. Can you maybe tell us a little bit why it seems like there are there's so many children in the foster care system versus children who are are infants that are being adopted? Why is there such a, a huge difference in the demand, I should say?
2: Sure. So, and that is a staggering number if you think about it in the foster care system. But it typically tends to be the older children or children in sibling groups and they're the caseworker is really trying to keep kids together, which is great mm-hmm. because that's, they should be, mm-hmm. but it can, you know, when there's families that come in through social services with eight children, plus it's very difficult to find families. And so some of those kids are just large sibling groups. Some of them may have really significant behavioral issues. Um, and so it's a combination of a lot of things, but the, the littler ones tend to get Adopted faster, and that includes infants. Um, even though infants, there's a high demand for infants, but there's not as many families placing their infants into families because it's a voluntary program. And okay. even if a child comes in through social services as a an infant, Foster parents tend to, if that child ends up being legally freed, will adopt that child. So they don't ever make it to that stage where they're waiting necessarily for a family like our older kids.
0: Right. OK. Got gotcha. you. Uh, that makes sense. Context. Yeah. So could you maybe dispel some of the myths that people have around the the idea of adopting kids out of foster care when it comes to things like um, behavioral issues or kids with special needs? How is it that um, that we can be a little bit more open to the idea of adopting some of these children that are a little bit older?
2: Again, I think it's really a matter of having that conversation with your significant other. And if you're a single applicant too, I think you have to really talk to your family and your support system around right. what are you capable of handling. And sometimes it's just a matter of really thinking about, can you... What is the worst thing that can happen? And then that and knowing that and making sure that that is communicated to your, your home study worker, your caseworkers and saying, you know, these are things that I'm not so sure that I can handle, but maybe I'm open to handling other things and then having the education that will support that. I'm also a firm believer of if your agency will allow you to do respite care for other children that are in foster care and placed in their families, it's a great way to practice and to kind of see, okay, you know, can I handle this behavior that this child's exhibiting or not? It's also, there's a lot of good programs out there where you can mentor a child beforehand of child from foster care so that you, again, you can kind of meet that child. I think a lot of times we have fears of the unknown mm-hmm. and it's it can be scary to think that this child could come into your family and, you know, you won't be able to parent them. But I think a lot of people are stronger than they think. And I also think these kids, you know, sometimes what's on paper is not a reality. And these kids do very, very well with consistency and stability. And sometimes that just takes the right family to say, you know, I'm going to I think I can do this.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think back to when we first met you at uh, the luncheon that was celebrating some of the uh, activities of uh, adoption options and I remember the video of watching a young girl who I think was probably around 11 at the time uh, who had been recently adopted and talking about her relationship with her parents now and her parents talking about her relationship, uh, the, the relationship they have with her and how inspiring and I think kind of settling to someone that that video would be because they obviously have a loving relationship and they haven't been together for a significant number of years. And she was an older child when she was adopted, right?
2: Correct. Yep. Yeah. You know, not everybody wants to adopt an infant. And I think sometimes families that have already parented a child and felt successful of that sometimes want give that back to another child, which I think is great uh sometimes older couples that have again parented and maybe they're empty nesters and now they're like "I'm not ready to be an empty nester <laughs> <laughs> wanna adopt an older kid and I think there's times that there's a there's younger families that think they have they know they have something to give and they really want to do that with an older child, whether that be just being a connection for them or just and being that support system, because not every child needs to get adopted per se, but every child needs to have a connection. And so I think, again, it's that exploratory, what, what do I know that I can handle? And where am I ready to kind of broaden that spectrum? And then, you know, start asking questions, go to, at least go to some information meetings at agencies or uh, at counties and learn more about what the process would look like and really what these kind of children, what what are the types of children or that are coming out of that particular county. It doesn't hurt to at least get the information and then you can start making some decisions.
0: That makes sense.
1: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So is it possible to be turned down for adoption? And if so, what are the common reasons that that, that happens?
2: So, Yes uh although it's not very common but what i would say is that at the very beginning if you're turned down it, if you have a criminal history and it, and they have to it has to be a significant criminal history it has to be you have to be on the child abuse registry so you may have had contact with a child or parented a child where social services had gotten involved that's an automatic denial if you have a domestic violence uh charge that can potentially be a denial so it's some of the big major criminal offenses that will get families denied. And then there can be other situ- there can be other denials. So a family could go through the entire home study process and out of that the assessment states that this family is maybe not ready or maybe foster you know adopting from foster care is not An appropriate route to go. Maybe it's more appropriate that they can't handle the legal risk. They can't handle children leaving their family. And when a child is placed from foster care, there is no guarantee that that child, unless that child has been legally freed by a court uh, because parental rights were terminated, there is no guarantee that somebody might not come out of the woodwork, a family member, or the family starts working on their treatment plan, and that child has to leave the family. So there is some legal risk for that. Mm -hmm. So families may not be ready for that. So if families come in and they get denied for a particular reason, we're going to sit down with that family. We're going to talk to them about it. And we're going to talk to them about what their recourse is. So is, is it that it's just an automatic denial? We can't do anything about their criminal history and the state will just not license them? Or is it something that maybe they need some therapy and they need to start working on some of these issues that that were identified, and maybe they can come back and we can approve them then. So there's a lot of variables, but typically when you're just denied right out of the gate, it has something to do with a criminal history. Hmm. So
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah.
0: I think we did talk previously with you about the idea that it's possible someone may also be denied because they're not financially ready, right? Uh, Yes. Because when you think about it, whether it's five thousand dollars or twenty five to forty thousand dollars, that amount of money could put a financial burden on a family that then they may not be able to recover from for a while. And it's it's not a good idea to bring someone into your family when bringing them into your family is going to cause a lot of financial stress because we. We already know what financial stress can do to a couple Right. (laughs) that just adding a child on top of that, that that can't child or children on top of that could make it even more difficult. So, as you said, maybe it's some guidance on how you can prepare and maybe you can get prepared a little bit further down the road.
2: Correct. And and that's what I that's a good point, because I think you're already going to have stress when any when any time you bring in a new person or a new member to the family, there's stress that comes with that. And so if you're already if you're already having stress and then you try to add on the financial stress of parenting, it's. It can be devastating to a family and to that child that you're bringing in. So that's why we do have to look at that. And I'm always a firm believer of is if you have more going out than you have coming in, it's probably not a good time and we need to work on your finances a little bit.
1: Right. Gotcha. So you actually do do a financial review, is that right?
2: Correct. We do.
1: Great. What does that all entail? Can you give us a high-level overview of that?
2: Sure. So in the app it's at the very beginning in the application we will ask uh what your assets are, what your debts are. It's not very in depth. It's it's pretty basic. What your income is. And so we kind of look at that in the first application and we can kind of tell if a family is struggling financially. However, and we're going to look at savings accounts and you know, your retirement plan and everything else too. Then as we get into the home study, there's an actual financial workshop or worksheet that we work on. And that is going to be much more in depth. So it's going to really look at all the income that comes into your family. And then what every little expense that you have going out. So all the way down to your utilities, um, could be groceries. So all those little expenses that add up. And then what is your not your debt to income ratio, but somewhat it is. It's really what's still, what do you have left over at the end of the month that's going to make this successful?
1: Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah. So all of you out there, if you've done our spending analysis, you're ahead of the game here (laughs) because it'll help you get ready.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So taking everything into totality of what we just discussed, are there any unique considerations for LGBTQ couples or individuals um, when it comes to adoption relative to our straight peers?
2: I don't think so. I mean, I think maybe as i think about this maybe more around talking to your child your family is ma- is unique and it, and it's going to look different than some of the children's peers and so how are you going to talk to your family makeup and and what are you going to call yourselves i mean are you going to if it's two guys are you going to be one's going to be daddy and the other one papa or what what is that going to look like so we're really going to look more at that but as far as getting ready um, or being just, I look at it as, you know, it's more about parenting and can you be a good parent versus what does your family look like? Because families look different and they, and not every family is going to look like anybody else. And mm-hmm. so I guess I just, I don't think about it that much as much, but it more around once a child is placed, then you are going to have to have that conversation. And what is that going to look like for you? And how are you going to handle it with your child? So.
0: So, Adrian, one question for you, and we brought this up on the episode last week, this idea that there are more states that seem to be popping up with these religious exemption laws and denying LGBT individuals from uh, adopting. Because you can assist with adoptions nationwide, is that a way, is that a way here in Colorado, because we don't have those laws, is that a way around some of those laws?
2: Uh, potentially, yes. So yeah, as long as somebody's here, so we have a license only in Colorado. So as mm-hmm. long as somebody is here, some meaning that a part, like a party is here. So we can't place foster children with couples or, or single applicants out of state. We can't do that because we don't have custody of that child. But say we had a birth mom that really wanted a place with a family that lived in Texas or Kansas, I know Kansas has, I think that law that just passed, Right. then they, that would be fine because, because Colorado is okay with that uh, law. So we don't have anything that would preclude them from getting placed in Colorado. The only issue that could arise, although I don't think it would be an issue would be interstate compact for the placement of children and that could be because when you cr- take a child across state lines you have to have approval from the state in which either the family or the baby has resided okay. and so they have to give approval for that family it's usually the family going back home to their state i don't think that that would be an issue because they didn't utilize a agency in their own state that that they had to follow those laws but I'm not an expert on that either. So I'd okay. have to, I'd have to, we'd have to check through ICPC, which sure. the interstate process. But yes, so Colorado is, it, you know, we are, we're pretty friendly when it comes to the LGBT community, um, especially now with the new governor.
1: Definitely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so. Cheers on that one.
2: <laughs> yes, cheers.
1: <laughs> so do you know what percentage of your applicants are LGBTQ?
2: I would say in both programs so in our infant program and our flexible families program we probably have about 40% lgbt families wow, wow.
1: that's higher than <laughs> that i is was really expecting
0: high. yep very surprised with that
1: cuz my follow up question was how can we increase that that's pretty high <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes um, i think the you know it's been it's been great it's that's increased definitely over the last year
1: Oh, yeah, that's interesting. So do you think that's a correlation with marriage equality?
2: Yes, I do. I think at the beginning, it definitely was with marriage equality. But I think as it's gone on for the last couple years, I think it's just the it's word of mouth. So families are starting to become more comfortable with reaching out to agencies to, to look at expanding their families and to the agencies that support that.
1: Gotcha. and you have a notable designation, right? The human rights campaign gave you or awarded you, it's all children, all families designation.
2: Yes. And you're the only
1: one in Colorado that has it, I believe, right?
2: Well, we were the only, we're still the only child placement agency. However, the adoption exchange recently got their seal of recognition. So that's good. And, And the state of Colorado, believe it or not, their foster and adoption unit at the state level is working on their designation right now, so Sweet. it's there are we're starting to see more starting to kind of come on board with that. So
1: right, and then of course that's the type of de- designation you'd like everybody to be awarded, right? <laughs> right, exactly. exactly. <laughs> so what does what that, is that nice. what does that mean exactly, though? What is what is the value of that designation?
2: So it's for us when we decided to uh, embark on that journey, it was really a matter of we wanted to. We felt that that's part of our mission is that we are an inclusive, open agency. And for us, it meant working with all types of families. And so the Human Rights Campaign Foundation, their their seal of recognition was really, a, I thought, a designation for us that would show what our mission was about. And so we embarked on that. It's it has 14 benchmarks that you have to complete and really everybody in your agency, including the board, you have to have community support. You have to make sure that the community knows that you're working towards this and that if you're going to work with them, if you're going to partner with them, that they have to be okay with that. And so when we got the seal, I think it's been, I think we're going on our fourth year. It was, uh, it was, no one else was really doing it. So it was a huge deal for us to get that and to really promote that we are an inclusive agency. And so what we say is what we do. And now as more people are coming on board with uh, that seal of recognition, I think it's going to be easier to partner with other like-minded agencies and professionals.
0: Well, first of all, I have to say thank you. Thank you for reaching out and doing that. I think it shows... To our community, the value that you have in placing any child with the appropriate family and whether that family is LGBTQ or not, I think that it just is so valuable to our community to look for uh, organizations that have that because it is kind of it is a seal of approval. It's basically you're going to be working with an organization that definitely wants to make you the family that you want to be.
2: Right. And it's really, you know, that in what comes in the other pieces is that even if you're not LGBT, that you still understand that this is an agency that supports that, that anybody, you know, good, we need good families. There shouldn't be 140,000 children that need a family. That's Mm -hmm. just sad. Um, especially when lots of people can, whether you're single, I mean, we have a lot of great single families, you know, it doesn't matter what your lifestyle technically is when it comes to your sexuality or how you believe that you should be a family. It shouldn't matter to that. It shouldn't matter of, can you parent this child and can you do it in a safe and appropriate way so this child can have a family for the rest of their life? That's what should be important.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So if you're a resident of a state that does have a religious freedom laws, I guess maybe what you should do is go to the human rights campaign website to see if you can find an adoption agency in your state that has the all children, all families designation.
2: Yes, definitely
1: make that process easier for
2: you. Right. Yep. Yeah.
1: Okay. How do we dispel the myth? If there is any, that it's harder for LGBT people to adopt?
2: Well, I think you just said it. I think that you have to do the research to make sure that you're finding an agency that is LGBT friendly and that actually has those support systems in place so that everybody in the in the agency or the county department, wherever you decide to adopt from, that they believe those same values. And then it makes it a little bit easier to work on the other stuff. So I think again, it's a lot, it is research as a consumer. I I say to families all the time, you're the consumer. You should be, you should know everything that I know about my agency by just looking us up on the our by our license. So taking that responsibility up front will save you in the long run. I think on uh, dispelling those myths that it that's it, a harder process possibly. So you need to find the agent because it's not, I think if you find the right agency, it it's just the same as anybody else. Right.
1: Gotcha. That's helpful. So can you tell us about any of the children that are currently available f- for adoption, obviously without disclosing any sort of privacy information?
2: So in Colorado? Yeah. Well, the type of child that's available in Colorado, again, I would say is an older child. So between the ages of eight and 14, although definitely there's, there's older teens for sure. But I would say the average age is about eight to 14, usually male, usually has had multiple placements and probably has some behavioral stuff that has happened that has either force them to move from their current location, or um, it's just not being able to be met by somebody, a foster parent. Those are kind of the average. But what I would say is that there's so many kids out there that are that have unique situations, they may be part of a sibling group, and they really want to stay with their sibling. I think that there's I think the LGBTQ youth is is probably a, a fairly significant population that are in the foster care system and whether they may not have even disclosed to anybody that this is what what they're identifying as. And so that makes them at risk mm-hmm. uh, for being placed in the wrong family. So I think- I don't know if I can I don't know if I answered any of that part of the question, but I would <laughs> no, definitely say definitely helpful. uh the for the two hundred and sixty children that are in foster care right now, I think it's just it's it's unique circumstances. And it a good way to kind of if you're thinking about foster care is to get onto the adoption exchange website because they do have kids' pictures on their exchange and you can kind of see what one? What those? What the age range is for those children? But also, kind of what their significant issues are. Their their special needs, and again, see if you know they sound like something you can parent.
1: David is not allowed to go on that website anymore. <laughs> yeah.
2: Okay. So we'll talk about that off air. It
1: it pulls at your heartstrings, and then in- <laughs> it does. Yep, it
2: sure does. It sure does.
1: So if I'm an LGBTQ person who isn't interested in adopting but I would like to help these children in some way or help these families who are considering adoption in some way, is there something that I can do?
2: Uh sure. We're again, I think if you want to help out and there's always volunteer opportunities for sure. You can you know, you can come in and you can be a respite family for other families that are adopting. So you might, you know, might be able to take that child for like an evening so the family can have an evening out. There's we're always looking for board members that want to they may not want to adopt but they can make some differences on a board and you know a, a donor. I mean, it is a program that doesn't especially for foster care, it doesn't bring in a lot of revenue per se. So there's a lot of programs that we want to start that we don't really have the funding for. So, and that's in support. I would love to be able to offer to any family that comes into this agency, uh, either a reduction of fees or no fees, especially in foster care. And we just can't do that because of, you know, it's financially not viable for us to be able to do that. But at some point down the road, we will have a program where families can just come in and be good families and they don't have to pay any fees. Gotcha. Awesome.
1: So that's a great segue. If anybody wants to connect with Adoption Options, either virtually or in real life, how can they do so?
2: You can contact us through our website, which is adoption options.com, or you can call us at 303 695 1601. We are on call 24 7, so you can always reach us.
1: So I think this was a great discussion. Is there anything that you think that we should cover that we haven't? Uh,
2: I think we covered everything, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. great. Well, because we're really good at that. Yes, you are. If I do say so myself. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you, Adrian, for coming on the show. I think this is profoundly helpful. I, I know that a lot of our... Uh, listeners are looking to grow their families. And I think adoption is a super way to go um, because there are so many kids that are available. And so all this information, um, especially during Adoption Awareness Month, is, is great to have. So thank you for your time. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Adrienne, for sharing your wealth of knowledge about adoption with our listeners and to Adoption Options for being such a leader in LGBTQ adoptions. It's good to know that we have advocates for growing our families the way that we see them. To our listeners who are considering adoption, please visit adoption-options.com for more information, and hrc.org for adoption agencies with the All Children, All Families designation. If you have any further questions, please feel free to ask them in the Queer Money Facebook group. Please don't forget that this episode of Queer Money was being brought to you by the Debt-Free Guys 7-Day Debt Freedom Challenge. You can accept that challenge at debtfreeguys.com. Finally, look for the credit card payoff course coming January 2019 to make next year the year you pay off those credit cards. And we'll talk with you next week.